Nursing homes have been at the epicenter of the pandemic. Though they have fallen off the radar for those who aren't living or working in one or don't have loved ones in them, sadly, the care of nursing home residents and support for those providing that care have been longstanding issues. As we heard from a daughter and caregiver of two parents with dementia who needed nursing home care, the pandemic has lifted the veil on what has been an invisible social ill for decades. Over the past year and a half, we served on a 17-member committee assembled by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine that was charged with making bold, actionable recommendations to improve nursing home care. The committee's report, which was released in early April, concluded that the way the U.S. finances, delivers, and regulates care in nursing home settings is ineffective, inefficient, inequitable, fragmented, and unsustainable. That was Jasmine Travers and David Grabowski reading from the first opinion essay, U.S. nursing home care is ineffective, inefficient, inequitable, fragmented, and unsustainable. They wrote it with Marilyn Rance, another member of the report committee. Jasmine is an assistant professor at New York University's Rory Myers College of Nursing, and David is a professor of healthcare policy at Harvard Medical School. The report they referred to is called The National Imperative to Improve Nursing Home Quality, Honoring Our Commitment to Residents, Families, and Staff. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Angus McCauley, COO of STAT. Thanks for listening. Johnson & Johnson is known as a leader in medical devices, and that business has a new name to reflect its mission. I'm joined by Ashley McAvoy, Executive Vice President and Worldwide Chairman of Johnson & Johnson MedTech, to learn more about the importance of this growing space. Thank you, Angus. We've seen firsthand over the past two years that the world needs and expects more from medical intervention. MedTech is driving advances in areas like AI and data science to start to address these unmet needs and, and start to improve outcomes and expand access, all while really innovating the patient experience. You know, J&J MedTech, we're poised to lead this transformation because we're all about being a patient-centered, growth-focused innovator. We look to apply our deep healthcare expertise, our pioneering spirit, and broad network of partners to advance medical technologies and solutions. And clearly, it's all about solving the biggest unmet needs in healthcare and the challenges that await us. Thanks, Ashley. To learn more, visit www.jnjmedtech.com. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. It's great to talk with you both. Great, thanks. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. You know, if I have the timing right, you and your 15 colleagues were drafted, I should probably say invited, to review the state of nursing home care in America in the fall of 2020, 
a few months into the COVID-19 pandemic, when the shocking rate of COVID-related deaths in nursing homes was still making headlines. Do you think the report would have been different had you completed it in November 2019, just before the mysterious pneumonia began to race through Wuhan, China, and then around the world? I actually don't think this report would have even happened, Pat, had we been in November of 2019. I really believe it was the pandemic that kind of lifted the veil, to use that great quote from a, from a family member. It was that kind of, that was the impetus to really do this report. These issues have been longstanding. They've been around for a lot of years, but this was really the opportunity. Interesting. I hadn't looked at it that way. I always assume that these things are, you know, months, years in the in the planning before they ever get underway. So that's an interesting perspective. I would just add to that. Of course, it was long overdue because the last report that was focused on nursing homes actually took place the year I was born, 35 years wow. ago in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so it definitely was long overdue. And these challenges and issues that we see in nursing homes, they have been the same since that time. So um, it's not a surprise that we've had that. I don't think, um, you know, as similar to 1986, I don't think we would have been as primed to really uh, respond to the recommendations at that time if it had been released in 2019. But because of the pandemic, people were opening their ears, they were opening their eyes to the issues in nursing homes and really uh, just really excited about uh, what we can do to change the way care is delivered in nursing homes. Uh, so I would say just kind of in addition to what uh, David said, that it really wouldn't have had, had the impact that um it's looking to have right now if it was released in 2019. Members of these committees are generally chosen for specific expertise. David, what's your connection with nursing homes? Sure. So I'm a health economist. I've studied this uh, area for over two decades. I've Thought of, spent a lot of time worrying about how we finance nursing home services in the U.S., how we pay for care, how we regulate nursing homes, and ultimately how that translates into the, the quality of care. And so I've done a series of, of studies over the year just pointing out all of those words we've already used to describe the system, how ineffective it is, fragmented, uh, inequitable for, for both those who live in these settings, but also those who work in these settings. And how about you, Jasmine? So, Patrick, I love how you use the term draft uh, <laughs> because it sure did feel like a draft. And I, I would say that the um, the NASM staff really um, made some good picks. Uh, but for me, uh, I my work focuses on equity when it comes to nursing home care delivery. Um, I pay sp specific attention to the workforce, certified nursing assistants, um, and in the inequities that they experience with, along with a number of other workforce issues, and then a lot of disparities within the resident care. So I would say there's not so many researchers out there um, that focus on the work that I do specifically. So uh, that was very prime for the needs of the uh, committee. I'm also a nurse and a nurse practitioner, and I have spent some time clinically in a nursing home as well. So that combination of being a researcher who focuses on equity, both among the workforce and the residents, and also having clinical experience within the nursing home setting really complemented the needs of the uh, of this report. I'm sure that gave you a, a important perspective. Were there any nursing home residents or family members 
on the committee. I know sometimes committees will have people who are have, quote, lived experience as part of the committee. No, there were not. That was probably one of the actual written comments when there was an open public comment um, time for people to submit with regards to the committee that was selected. Um, And people just kind of raised just a little bit of conversation about having a residence or a family member also on the committee, but we were intentional about having those perspectives incorporated as we made our um, just like interviews uh, amongst many different stakeholders. You know, the preface of the report says, and I'm quoting here, we began our work by creating a map of keywords and phrases that describe what we all hoped for in nursing home care. Words such as safety, equity, peaceful, joyous, integrity, and comfort were all often shared as we imagined what care in a nursing home should be. I imagine that some nursing homes live up to that imagining. Would you say that most do or don't? I'll start on this one. I think most do not. I, I Somebody recently asked me to sort of characterize what's what's care like in an average U.S. nursing home. I think the quality of care, it's, it's probably safe. The quality of care is probably, I, I would, Patrick, use the word okay. The quality of life, however, is, is pretty poor in your typical nursing home. It's very institutional. Uh, it's not really person-centered. It's not really resident or family-centered. It's 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 just not a very joyous place. There's, I don't think there's a, a lot of dignity. So I, I, I really believe that we could, and, and I would even go further to say that that's true for the individuals working there as well, but they're, they're not empowered. They're not respected. And so uh, it, 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 there's um, some real gaps right now at, at your, at your typical nursing home. Uh, I don't know, Jasmine, would you agree with that assessment? I would most definitely agree. And I remember that day very vividly, Patrick, when we sat on a Zoom and went around and said, you know, what were the things that really made the nursing home a place that you'd want to live in or you'd want your family members? And it felt so removed from what we experience right now. But at the same time, you felt just hopeful and a lot of excitement as you shared what this place could look like or what you would hope for it to look like. Um, so really reimagining that and feeling it and being excited about uh, a place that we could potentially help create, you know, in the future. It's all, It's got to be wonderful to start from a place of positivity rather than negativity. Absolutely. You know, there's so many problems in U.S. nursing homes, but I think we've all been in those special places that uh, individuals want to be there. Their families are, are connected. The staff are, are uh, empowered and the working conditions are, are, are really quite positive. And there's just a, a different feel in those nursing homes when, when you enter them. I've you know, visited several of them here in the U.S., even in other countries. I visited one in the Netherlands. Like it's a, it's a really powerful moment, but that's unfortunately the exception rather than the, the rule right now. So it sounds like just as with restaurants and clothing stores and hospitals, there are different tiers of nursing homes. You know, if you were to picture a good nursing home, either one of you, what in your mind does it look like? 
Yeah, I could start, and I'm certain Jasmine has strong thoughts on this as well. I think you would start with the resident, and that's really where we started with this report. We have this great diagram that shows a sort of a framework of quality, and in the middle of all of this is the resident, and you want that resident to be empowered, the the care to be person-centered. It's about their kind of dignity, their quality of life. Uh, This shouldn't be about making things easier for the nursing home administrator, cutting corners. It should really be about the, the resident. It's it's their home. Uh, the, the word home is there. You know, it's a nursing home. And I think we often lose that word when we're thinking about uh, the, this this model of care. And so I, it starts with the resident. I think the second part of this is obviously the staff. And we tend to overlook a, a, a lot of the staff. Many of them are, are paid close to minimum wage. Uh, I think in, in, in many instances, they're undervalued. Uh, the, these aren't desirable positions. We see a lot of turnover and fluidity in the workforce. Many of the nursing homes I've unfortunately been in are these big institutions with, you know, the linoleum floors and two to, you know, the nurses station at the end of the hall and two people to a room. And it's just it's not a very nice feel to that. To, to that building, whereas uh, a true home feels much different. So that that's you, you can feel the difference, Patrick, right when you walk in the door when you're in a when a, a, a really high level nursing home. Right. So for me to add to that, it's creating this environment that truly reflects the idea that a person doesn't want to stop living just because they need help living and what that looks like. So for example, an older adult, what does that look like for an older adult empowering them? Maybe when they were in at the home, they probably emptied the trash, right? If they're now in the nursing home setting, why not allow them to empty the trash? They're part of that community. So creating this more home-based environment as opposed to an institutional environment um, is important. And then also kind of thinking about a place where people want to still enjoy themselves. Where are the opportunities to have fun? I've been in some nursing homes where they have a happy hour and a social hour. And I'm like, oh, wow, like I want to come hang with you all, you know? <laughs> so a place where I'm excited about where I am and about what we're doing, activities that I enjoy, right? Um, and that is reflected in the uh, the care plan. So what are the goals? What are the preferences of the older adults? How do we provide those activities that they want to participate in and uh, really kind of uh, providing those in the nursing home setting or some additional things that I would say to incorporate? In his State of the Union address on March 1st, President Biden said, as Wall Street firms take over more nursing homes, quality in those homes has gone down and costs have gone up. That ends on my watch. You raised the issue in the essay that the complex ownership structure of many nursing homes siphons dollars away from care. Can you explain that? Sure. Back in the 70s and 80s, ownership was a much simpler construct in that a single company you know, own the own the nursing home. They they operated the facility. It was this kind of single or common entity. Today, it's very complex where you may have one group that sort of owns the real estate, another group that does the operations. These corporations can have a lot of parts. And so as we're paying public dollars through Medicare and Medicaid to the nursing home, the, the, the fear here is that some of those dollars don't make, don't, don't stay in the nursing homes. They kind of get paid out through what we call related party transfers. But basically this, you know, other parts of the company, uh, you know, maybe it's a therapy group, maybe it's dietary, but we're sort of 
losing some of those dollars because they're being paid out to other parts of the company. And ultimately, that's 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 leading to fewer dollars in direct resident care, which which hurts hurts outcomes and, and quality of life for the for the residents. But also it's it's a kind of an issue of accountability. Our public dollars aren't being put to the their intended use. So Patrick, it, it's a huge issue in that we don't we don't we can't follow the money currently given the complexity of ownership. It it does sound complicated. I like many other people think that much of the funding comes from Medicare. But it's coming from other places as well. That's absolutely correct. The the dominant payer of nursing home services currently is our state Medicaid programs. And this is very different than other parts of our healthcare system where in mo- whether it's hospital, physician services, you know, it's either Medicare or commercial insurance are the big two payers. When it when it gets to nursing home care, it's it's Medicaid is is the big payer. Medicare pays for short stay nursing home care, and then it's a lot of individuals paying out of pocket privately. And so it, it's it's a much different mix of of payers relative to other parts of our healthcare system. You wrote that the report identified and focused on seven key themes for improving nursing home care. We don't have time to cover them all. Your first opinion essay did a good job of that, and I urge any listener wanting to know more to check it out or read the 600-page report. It's freely available from the um, (laughs) National Academies Press. Uh, Jasmine, what do you think is the single most important fix that you all identified? (laughs) Uh, I think that's the the million-dollar question that many people continue to ask. And uh, things that we continue to kind of say is that in general, it's important to realize that these recommendations do not stand alone and that all of the recommendations need to be implemented, you know, um, with regards to this ability for our ability to improve the care in nursing homes. So we can't just focus on one recommendation and let another recommendation just fall by the wayside. So that's one thing that I just want to uh, reiterate. But another thing, just kind of answering your question um, a little bit more specifically now, uh, a number one challenge that we hear across the board from nursing home staff, as well as residents and family members when it comes to the challenges in nursing homes is rooted in staffing. So that's something that for me, you know, and of course, a person that uh, focuses on workforce issues within the nursing home setting, as well as um, disparities and uh, just overall quality of care for residents in nursing homes. It, that's an area that I say we need to fix drastically, especially uh, currently right now where we see a lot of staffing shortages, even severe when we've ever seen them before. So in order to provide that quality of care to residents, we need to address staffing issues. So not just staffing with regards to understaffing um, and short staffing, but then also the training and the education and knowledge of, of staff and the support that they have as well. And then just the compensation that they receive. So how do we create a better place for staff to work um, is, is going to be important. David, any top of the list recommendations that, you know, if, if you were the boss of everybody, you would you would uh, start on first? 
Yeah, I'd love to be the boss, but nobody nobody's <laughs> offered me that that job yet. I'll, I'll keep waiting. But if I, as a health economist, this won't surprise you. Um, I, I I love what Jasmine said in the short term about staffing, but I think for the longer term, we need to fix how we finance and pay for services. And if we do that, we can get all a lot of these other issues. Um, I, I'm not saying that's the only thing, because as Jasmine said really well, there's seven areas, all seven. It's a comprehensive package. But I, I really want to emphasize we, we, we make some, I think, pretty bold uh, recommendations around how we how we finance care in this country, moving towards a, a federal long term care benefit and then fixing some of the current inequities around uh, Medicaid financing and Medicare. And just we have this fragmentation. Can we? Um, get a uh, you know a, a more integrated system of payment, and then can we fix some of the the payment inequities where Medicaid's paying a, a lower rate and Medicare's paying this higher rate, and really incentivize high quality for for all of our residents? You know, nursing homes were hit really hard from COVID at the beginning of the pandemic, but as you mentioned in the excerpt, the attention has kind of fallen away from them. Has the situation in nursing homes changed much since vaccines became available? Yeah, it actually, we're still seeing a lot of cases in nursing homes, but the the kind of rate of fatalities has come way down. That's still, it's still not perfect and we can still do better in terms of getting uh, a lot of our residents their their booster shots and and the staff too, but it's, it's, it's definitely clear during the most recent waves that that conditions are better. We're still seeing lots of cases, but um, it, it's been reassuring that the vaccines work and that fatalities are, are down relative to cases. At the same time, staffing is still a challenge in nursing homes. Uh, I, I do a lot of research in nursing homes right now, and some of the nursing homes have been great with regards to continuing um, us allowing us to be within the nursing home to conduct our research, but they tell us often that staffing is bad. Um, it, it's it's very difficult. It's very challenging. And as new um, policies go into place with regards to minimize, um, having minimal st- staffing standards, for example, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but without having supports to kind of implement those minimal staffing uh, standards uh, causes some challenges for nursing homes. And then also as uh, different supports that were in place early on in the pandemic are, are being lifted is also posing a challenge. So for example, the emergency waivers, like of course, when it comes to certified nursing assistants, we do want to make sure that they are trained to you know, provide the care that they're providing, but we also need to think about how do we still provide nursing homes with those supports in a safe way um, and not just pull everything back because this is not the time to pull everything back. It's still a challenge. Yes, we've seen in the market that other areas when it comes to the workforce are increasing, but we still see severe shortages within the nursing home setting. And I just want to add to this, Patrick, um, as people were able to stay at home and work from home, you know, that's kind of been a luxury, but in a way it's turned to a, a thing where like, I want that. So, um, Different industries are allowing that. Different industries are allowing less demands, um, you know, less com- less complexity and more pay because people are leaving positions. So they have to increase the pay. So the competition that nursing homes are competing is 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 high. So what does that look like when it comes to recruitment? It's even more challenging than it has been before um, to recruit to nursing homes when thinking about pay and thinking about the workload and and the different just 
just benefits people want to see that we're seeing in other industries now. So that's that's a problem, too, that nursing homes are contending with. Well, just like you can't deliver babies by Zoom, you probably can't deliver uh, nursing home care by Zoom either. Exactly. I, I think we're trying to see <laughs> at some point years to come, you know, how technology and robots can help with that. But no, I agree with you. Do either of you have parents or family members or loved ones who are in or have been in nursing homes? Yes, uh, not not currently, but but uh, other other family members, not my parents, have been in, in nursing homes, and it's it's actually interesting. Uh, all of the issues we've talked about, but I remember when my aunt was in a nursing home in Pennsylvania. The, the calls I would get from her were about the quality of the food of all things. But it was like, I, this is inedible. And it's just interesting, the things like we all think about the our day-to-day lives and that, how that imp- impacts us. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, the comfort of my bed or the, the food I'm eating or, you know, on and on and on. And it, you just want to think about, I want to go back to this issue. The nursing part of nursing homes are really important and the staff are, are everything. But it's also somebody's home and that, that everything that we do at home uh, – is important. I agree to add what David said with regards to those little things. Those are those person-centered things that focus on the preferences and the needs, right? We might have our own view of what's important for the residents, right? We say, oh, it's important for you not to fall or if it, or it's important for you know you to do this at this specific time. But for them, it's important that they have a good meal, you know, that they have a meal that they're going to enjoy. Uh, so those are some important aspects that are, are not necessarily being being uh, reflected in the care that's being provided to residents that we take for granted, that's going to make the the world of difference in the stay um, that we are not privy to because we're not um, kind of upholding to the care plan and ensuring that their residents' preferences are reflected in that. Uh, But with regards to uh, just associations or affiliations with the nursing home. I have an uncle that was working in the nursing home as a CNA and has left the nursing home since the pandemic because he had um, he had um, been diagnosed with COVID early on and did not receive supports from his uh, management. And he left out of fear um, and feeling unsupported. And that's one of the biggest things uh, too, when it comes to nursing home staff, you know, uh, of course, pay is is a significant um, uh, uh, reason for nursing assistants and others leaving the nursing home settings. But then also feeling that you are not um, being supported, that people do not care and value you is um, a significant reason for uh, nursing assistants and other nursing home workers leaving the profession. Uh, During that time when he was uh, diagnosed with COVID-19, there were supports for workers in other professions or in other settings, so in acute care settings, right? So physicians and nurses, registered nurses, they were receiving free stays at hotels and such. And we were trying to get him out the house. And I, I told my mother, you know, there are stays for healthcare workers. And when I started looking into it and calling hotels, they were telling me that, no, it's only for registered nurses and physicians in a lot of cases in acute care settings. And then for nursing assistants, there were no supports or the supports were a modified rate, which came out to $100 a night. And at that time, it was 14 days that they had to stay um, quarantined for, which is $1,400. And that is not, that's nowhere close to something that a nursing assistant could cover. So also thinking about the systemic issues that 
prevent, you know, people to, to have like actual supports that they need is also a, a thing that we need to be cognizant of. So Jasmine, knowing what you know now, would you hesitate or think twice about recommending that a parent or a sibling or a other loved one live in a nursing home? I, what I would, I wouldn't uh, say that someone should not live in a nursing home, if that's what you're asking, Patrick. I would say to really do your research about that nursing home, to visit that nursing home, you know, um, if different times of the day, daytime, nighttime, weekends, <laughs> as David does a lot of uh, the turnover work and how, you know, that changes on the weekends as well with regards to availability of staff. Um, but I, I would really encourage them to learn more about that uh, nursing home. There are resources that kind of help make decisions with a nursing home. Of course, there's nursing home compare, but that's difficult for people to really kind of comprehend and, and really understand what it's saying. And, and, it, and many times it's not reflective of the actual care that residents are um, you know, really seeking. Uh, there's Yelp. Um, and other reviews that people can look into. Uh, and then the uh, CMS has this nursing home checklist that they um, uh, promote on their website where you can take that checklist and go into the nursing home. And of course, sometimes that's going to be difficult for residents. You have to have a proxy in many cases that will be able to do this and go to the nursing homes. But it has many questions on different domains within the nursing home that you would want to understand. So for example, environment, is it a clean environment? What does it smell like? You know, uh, like food, what is, is it clean? So things that um, you wouldn't necessarily be thinking of to look for in a nursing home, uh, that nursing home checklist kind of provides some more information because at that time you're like, I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to look for. David, same question to you about hesitation or? I, I wouldn't hesitate uh, to, to recommend uh, or or have a family member uh, enter a nursing home. Similar to Jasmine, I would want them to enter the the right nursing home. And so it wouldn't just be any nursing home. But I, I think what's, what's challenging and one of the big kind of drivers of our report was this idea that we, we all want to get as many individuals out of nursing homes and in the community as possible. That's a, that's an objective. I think all 17 members of the committee share that objective, but I think all 17 of us as well recognize that for certain individuals, they're going to require nursing homes. And when they do for family reasons, for care reasons, for, you know, on and on and on, there, there are reasons that individuals, uh, enter a nursing home, let's make it the best possible model. And I, I all too often, I think we we pit nursing homes against home and community-based services and say we can only invest in one or the other. And I think we need a strong system. We actually need to invest in both. We can't make it an either or. It has to be both. And if we don't, we're going to continue to have these these poor quality nursing homes that we do today. Let, let's make them strong such that when individuals do need to enter a nursing home, it's not, oh, as Jasmine said, there's only a, <laughs> we have to go through these checklists and and uh, nursing home compare and Yelp to find the, the, the one or two good places. I I think we can raise the, uh, the, the level here of all of the nursing homes that are in these markets. Well, thank you both for taking the time to talk about nursing homes. Jasmine, at the start, you mentioned the Institute of Medicine's Improving the Quality of Care in Nursing Homes report in 1986, which is as old as you are, I understand now. 
Your the preface of your report calls it quote a critical milestone whose recommendations were not fully realized. I hope that 35 years from now, when someone else is looking back on nursing homes and nursing home qualities, they aren't saying the same thing about the good work you've done for this report. I agree with that, Patrick. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer, and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners. Please let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well during this strange and uncertain time. Thank you.